we all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold let's talk finance wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot yahoo finance does just that it consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis making it easier to manage your investments Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, today would have been my father, Erwin Schiff's 90th birthday. And it's always been easy for me to remember my father's birthday because it comes exactly one month before mine. I will be 55 on the 23rd of March. But, you know, if you're not familiar with my father's story, and I'm sure most of the people who listen to this podcast are familiar with Erwin Schiff. But if you're not, you know, I you know, go to my website, shiftbooks.com. I still, you know, I sell some of my dad's books. We still have copies of the Federal Mafia, which I do believe one day will be a collector's item, having been, I think, the only book other than Fanny Hill to have ever been banned uh, by the U.S. government. Uh, and it's not because it's pornographic. It's because uh, I believe my dad was telling the truth. Uh, but in any event, we have more copies of the Federal Mafia, have a lot of the book, The Kingdom of Malts, which I love that little book. It really, uh, really shows off my father's sense of humor. It's beautifully illustrated by a guy named Andy Ice. I always liked that book as a kid. Um, and so if you haven't got a copy, we still sell them at shipbooks.com. It's, and I think it's very appropriate now because the book really explains inflation and where it comes from in gold and you know, we are going back to inflation. I mean, that is going to be the big thing uh, that nobody uh, is worried about, but what everybody should be worried about. So that book is, uh, it's time has come again, the kingdom of malls. But also, you know, my dad's old website, paynoincometax.com is still up. There's a lot of stuff on that website. In fact, he has a archive of his old radio shows that he used to do 
He did a show once a week from Las Vegas on shortwave radio. In fact, that was really what gave me the idea to do my weekly shortwave radio show, which some of you uh, who go way back were listening to that I did every Wednesday night, Wall Street Unspun. So he has his archives there. And remember, you know, I don't recommend that people follow in my father's footsteps or his advice not to pay income taxes. I mean, if you don't want to pay income taxes, do what I did, move to Puerto Rico. You know, I'm not fighting the IRS. I know it's a battle that you can't win. They're extremely corrupt. And as much as I think my dad was right on the law and the Constitution, you know, that doesn't matter when you're living in a police state, when you're in a corrupt state, when we're not a nation of laws, we're a nation of men and highly corrupt men at that. So you got to play by their rules, right? You can't challenge them. And that's, you know, why one of the reasons I'm here in Puerto Rico, because they accept the fact that if you live in Puerto Rico, then you don't have to pay income taxes on the money that you earn uh, from Puerto Rico. And you're also, you know, exempt from the capital gains tax. So I'm playing by their rules, right? I'm not playing by the rules that my dad wanted to play by, which was the Constitution and the Supreme Court and the law of the land. I am just doing what the men who control the country have said is acceptable uh, based on, 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 on their terms. So I'm just, you know, playing this, uh, this hand that, that I've been dealt. My dad, on the other hand, took a stance on principle and he paid for it with his life. You know, he died in, uh, in federal prison, uh, handcuffed or rather ankle cuffed uh, to a bed. Uh, in, uh, in in Dallas, Texas. But I mean, that, that story is out there. You can do a little bit more research on my dad. But listen to some of these archives shows that he did in the late 1990s. They're spot on. He really did a great job of assessing the problems in the U.S. economy. And even though he talks a lot about taxes, uh, if that's not what is interesting to you, you know, you can always skip to the parts where he talks about economics because he talks a lot about economics. And if you listen to my dad, I mean, you'll you'll know where I'm coming from. You know how I learned a lot of the things that I know. People always talk to me, hey, how did you manage to come about your perspective, this way of thinking? And I always go back to my dad and point to what I learned from my father. And so, uh, you know, if you go back and you listen to my father, I mean, you'll recognize a lot of uh, the things that I say, maybe my style or the way I deliver uh, some of my points is going to be very reminiscent. You'll, you'll listen to my dad and you'll, you'll say, aha, now, now I know where, where Peter gets it from. But again, you know, he would have been 90 years old today. He was born in 1928, right before the stock market crash. He grew up as a kid during the Great Depression. Right? Not many Americans alive today even remember the Great Depression. There are still a few. Uh, the bad news is we're going to live through another one. And it's going to be very different. This what we're going to be going through uh, is going to be, I think, substantially different in many ways, much, much worse uh, than what people had to endure uh, during the Great Depression. But today, hey, everything is great, right? Wall Street had a huge relief rally today. The Dow Jones up almost 350 points, pretty much closing right on the highs of the day. Uh, the Nasdaq had an even better day percentage wise, up 127 points. You know, I think the Dow and was down on the week until today. And now with this big gain, it managed uh, to be up on the week. I think the reason that the market was so strong was we finally got a down day in the bond market. The yield on the 10-year Treasury went back down. We closed at 2 spot 871. Remember, we got to 2 spot 95. We almost got up to 3%. 
And now we're all the way back down to 2.871. On the 30-year, there, you know, we're at 3.16 on the 30-year. We had gotten up to 3.22 a couple of days ago. So I think this took a lot of pressure off the stock market. And uh, people came in buying. You know, right? Everything is great. Nothing to worry about. The commodity market, though, very strong today. Across the board, look at the surprise strength in oil. You know, everybody was talking about, oh, oil prices, right? They're coming down. We're all the way back up uh, to uh, 63.50, above 63.50 oil, almost back up to the highs. We've had a huge recovery. Look, oil prices are going a lot higher. And it's not just oil prices that are going up. Commodities in general, I think we are in the early stages of another major boom in the commodity prices. I mean, we had a big boom uh, that ended in 2008 with the financial crisis. This is going to be a bigger boom because it's not going to end in a financial crisis. This is going to be a dollar crisis, which is music to the ears of the commodity markets, right? Because they're all priced in dollars. And by the way, you know, the dollar was up a little bit today. I mean, not a big move, but the fact that the dollar managed a small gain means that the big move up in commodity prices affects everybody, right? All these countries, Europe, Japan, everybody is seeing higher commodity prices today. And, you know, a lot of the the numbers that came out, the recent big numbers that surprised everybody on inflation, CPI, PPI, import, export prices, the assumption was, well, you know, commodity prices are going to come back down. They're not, right? So these hot inflation numbers that we've been getting are going to get a lot hotter. And all that jives with what we're seeing. I mean, we've come off of a huge base that we have been building for years and years in the agricultural commodities, the industrial metals. I mean, they're all going to be breaking out. And as I've been saying, all this inflation that has been, you know, in the financial markets, in the stock market, in the bond market, in the real estate market, everybody loved inflation when it was making you rich because it was manifesting itself in asset prices. The problem is going to be when it makes you poor. That's when it starts showing up in the cost of living. All the things that you need to buy end up getting a lot more expensive. You know, we did get some negative housing numbers out this week. We got the second consecutive fall in existing home sales. This is the beginning of a big trend, right? Because housing is getting a lot more expensive for people to buy. Basically, you got mortgage rates going up. Right. Mortgage rates are at multi-year highs now, maybe four or five year highs. They're still really low. That's the bad news for people who want to buy a home. Right. Because even though rates are at multi-year highs, they're still ridiculously low and they've got a long rate of rise. But it's not just that. Homeownership is getting more expensive because utilities are going up. Property taxes are going up. Maintenance costs are going up. Insurance costs are going up. Everything about homeownership is getting more expensive. And you no longer have the big tax breaks, thanks to uh, the recent uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, right? So many people are no longer itemizing. And if you don't itemize, you get zero benefit uh, tax-wise for buying a home. Uh, but even the people that do itemize, they're going to see their deductions limited. They're, you know, the mortgage deduction is limited, but more importantly, the property tax. And I know a lot of people will say, well, you know, you still can deduct $10,000. Yeah, but most homeowners will use up most, if not all, of that deduction on their state income taxes. Now, if you live in a state that doesn't have a state income tax, well, then obviously you can use it for your property tax. But if you're in California, if you're in New York, you're in Connecticut, chances are you're going to use up that entire uh, $10,000 when you deduct your income tax. 
from your federal income tax. So there's going to be no net benefit to you from paying property taxes. So a lot of people are going to make the logical decision to pay rent instead of paying uh, mortgage and property taxes that they can't deduct. And whole housing prices are going to start to come down. But that doesn't mean home ownership gets cheaper, right? Home ownership can become more expensive even as the price of the house itself is going down, especially since so many people who buy houses need to take out a mortgage in order to do it. You know, but the idea that so many people can get so excited about a little bit of a drop in interest rates and thinking, oh, okay, we don't really have to worry. 3% is maybe about as high as we're going to get. You know, some of these Wall Street firms are out there today increasing their year-end target uh, on rates up to maybe three and a quarter. And I think what Wall Street is saying is, well, we can handle that. Three and a quarter is not that bad, right? It's really not that high. And the truth of the matter is, it is, right? Even if rates were only going to go to three and a quarter, when you're talking about the magnitude of the debt that we have, that extra money is is big. I mean, that's going to be a big drain uh, on the economy to the extent that we have to pay higher interest to international creditors. I mean, obviously, if we're paying the interest to other Americans, you can argue that, well, somebody's interest expense is somebody else's interest income. Uh, but, you know, when you have a lot of the the interest payments being directed abroad, that is a net drain. But there are also a lot of, uh, you know, other factors involved. If you look at who owes the money, right, if you figure that, well, a lot of this phony GDP is coming from consumption, well, the average American who is consuming is deeply in debt and they are going to be impacted dramatically by the increase in the cost of servicing that debt. But the idea that three and a quarter is as high as they're going to go no way. I mean, why would that happen? I mean, historically, I mean, the, the yields on treasuries, let's say the 10-year, averages nominal GDP. Well, if nominal GDP is running around 5%, right, then why, why should interest rates be lower? And in fact, given how much debt we have and how much debt is going to be marketed, you know, the, the, the massive increase in supply would argue for interest rates that are higher than what the historic average is. So again, 6%, 7% doesn't seem out of the question at all. And I would think that the markets would make this adjustment very quickly. I don't think it would be a slow multi-year adjustment. I think it would happen very quickly. And the markets, of course, have not factored this in at all. And of course, what would stop that would be the Federal Reserve, which is why I think that they're not going to let it happen. I think the potential for five, six, seven percent rates is what will get the Fed back engaged, get them to reverse course and do quantitative easing forward, do QE4, come back into the market. I mean, if they don't do that, you know, then everything is going to collapse. And I know a lot of people would say, well, Peter, you know, doesn't that screw up our strategy to the extent that the Fed uh, allows everything to implode? I would say, no, look, if the Fed allows interest rates to skyrocket, the U.S. economy is going to collapse. Banks are going to fail. The Treasury is going to have to default on interest payments on the national debt. It's going to have to default on the principal. None of the, all that is bad for the dollar. All that is great for gold. I mean, the U.S. imploding to that degree is not going to be a positive thing for the U.S. dollar. But I do think it will be less of a negative than hyperinflation. It'll be less of a negative than what I think we're going to do, which is just crank up the printing presses because there's no way that the Fed is going to sit by and let all this implode. I mean, not 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 with Jerome Powell, 
as Fed chairman, not with Donald Trump as the president. They're not going to go down without a fight, especially since these idiots actually think that what they do works. They actually think, oh, well, we just got to do more quantitative easing because it worked so great the last time. We'll just do it again. I mean, they still think that you build an economy based on asset prices, right? They still think that wet sidewalks cause rain. That's what I said before. I mean, they have they have it completely backwards. And, you know, of course, the, the other problem with this, you know, the Fed thinks that they create economic growth by creating a wealth effect, right? Just, hey, let's jack up the stock market and, uh, and, and then the economy is going to grow because people are going to feel richer and they're going to go out and spend money and that's going to grow the economy. It's actually doing damage. If you create a bunch of phony wealth, if you jack up asset prices and people end up spending money that they otherwise would have saved, you are undermining economic growth, right? If you fool people into thinking they're richer than they are, and because they think they're so rich, they don't want to save any money, they go out and buy things that they really can't afford, you are doing damage to the economy. This whole idea that you can create economic growth by creating uh, phony uh, wealth on, on a piece of paper, just jack up the value of everybody's stocks and real estate, and now that, that paper wealth is going to create economic growth. It actually does the opposite. It undermines economic growth that otherwise would have taken place. I mean, when you so screw up interest rates and you, and you screw up savings and investment and consumption, you, you veer the economy away from the optimal path that the free market otherwise would have put it in. See, the free market, if, if there's not enough savings in the economy, the free market is going to correct that. Interest rates are going to go up. That's going to send signals to people to stop spending. It's going to send a signal to start saving because the reward for saving is going to go up. Right? The market is going to do the right thing. The market is going to try to create an equilibrium. It's going to create a balance you know, of, of time preferences for money. And as interest rates go up, people will say, you know what, I'm not going to spend today. I'm going to save because I'll spend in the future because I'm getting paid a lot of money. But when you have the Federal Reserve artificially suppressing interest rates, you circumvent all those market mechanisms that would create an equilibrium, that would, that would you know, see a shortage of savings and work to alleviate that shortage because it's the savings that are going to provide for the capital investment and the production that's going to grow the economy. We haven't had any of that. Everything the Fed has done uh, has undermined real economic growth. That is why this coming collapse is going to be that de- so so devastating because the economy is so screwed up. It's so much more screwed up than it was in 2008. But you have everybody out there completely complacent. Nobody gets it. Nobody understands it. So you get this big rally in the stock market, but we're not out of the woods. You know, we haven't made a new high. You know, the bond market still looks like it's going down. I mean, yeah, nothing's going to go down in a straight line. But I think once we get through uh, that 3% level, because we haven't even done that on a 10-year, right? I mean, once we get through that, I do think we go very quickly to three and a quarter. But I think getting through 3% is going to scare the markets. I mean, look at what happened earlier in the week a couple of days ago when we got the FOMC minutes. Um, We had a 500-point drop in the Dow. The Dow went from up about 300 to down about 200 in, in an hour. So you, the market is extremely nervous based on rates. The reality is, though, they're just not nervous enough. They still don't contemplate the severity of the problem because most of the people still never understood the problem 
to begin with. But you've got all this volatility now that we didn't have before, right? And you can see, you know, where the dollar is. Yes, the dollar isn't still falling. It's kind of digesting the big drop that it's already had this year. I mean, the dollar has had a hell of a drop, you know, this year and last year. And it didn't really rally today. I mean, it just kind of, you know, held on. I mean, it just seems like it's consolidating its losses, getting ready for a whole new wave down. Meanwhile, as I said earlier, commodities are really breaking out. So strong commodities in a weak dollar go hand in hand. And all that goes hand in hand with a weak bond market, which is exactly what we're seeing. That is what you would expect when you get a return of inflation or more specifically stagflation. It's just that the markets still don't get the stag part. They still think there's going to be all this economic growth, but they're all basing that on optimism surrounding tax cuts that are not going to generate the type of growth that everybody expects because the, the, the consequence of these tax cuts, bigger deficits and more inflation are going to offset the gain of the tax cuts. And again, I've said this many, many times, it's not tax cuts that grow the economy. And the Republicans don't get this. It's shrinking government that grows the economy. That's the beauty. When you make government smaller and you free up resources back into the private sector, that's what grows the economy. When you can cut taxes because the government no longer needs your money, that's when tax cuts grow the economy. Because now the government's not wasting my money. I get to keep the money. But if the government lets you keep the money, but it keeps on wasting it, well, then how do you pay for it? We're not getting this government for nothing, especially when these morons go and increase government spending. They increase defense spending. They increase welfare spending as they're cutting taxes. So they're actually draining more resources out of the economy. How are we going to pay for that? Well, we're going to pay for it with debt. We're going to pay for it with inflation. And that is the most inefficient way to fund government. It is the most expensive way to fund government. And we're going to find that out. You can't get growth for nothing. This is all Keynesian stimulus, right? Just saying we're going to run bigger deficits and it's going to stimulate the economy. You remember when Richard Nixon said we're all Keynesians now? Well, yeah, he was right. All the Republicans in Congress right now, this is pure Keynes. This is we're going to grow the economy by running big deficits, by printing a bunch of money. I mean, that does not work. That has never worked. Yes, you know, you can you can fake it for a while. You can inflate asset bubbles and everybody can pretend that there's a good economy. That's what was going on under Barack Obama. We all pretended everything was great because we goosed the stock market. Well, Trump became president because he he knew that everybody was pretending and he felt the pain of all the people living in the real world because there was no real economic growth under Obama. Well, there's not going to be any real economic growth under Trump because nothing has changed. Just cutting taxes while government gets even bigger doesn't deliver any real relief and it isn't going to grow the economy. But people think that. okay, so you have all this false optimism. You know, Donald Trump's popularity now, I just read it's back up to like 50 percent. This is the height of his popularity because people, oh, I got a tax cut. right? I'm going to have more money. Wait till they see the increase in interest rates or the increase in uh, in, in food or clothing or energy or all the costs that are going to be going up. But once the stock markets really roll over, I mean, you know, I mean, we had these declines, but we're still, you know, we're still way up, right? We're still, you know, people are still not worried yet. But I think it's a long time between now and the midterm elections. And I think that a lot of that Trump popularity is going to wear off as a lot of these problems rear their ugly head, particularly the inflation problem, which is just nascent now, right? And again, you know, there's a couple of reasons why 
we haven't seen inflation in a bigger way. One is, you know, the CPI, as I've said many, many times, doesn't accurately measure inflation. In fact, I remember a, um, a video I did a few years ago in which I looked at the CPI over a 10-year period. I think it was maybe 2003 to 2013. I just kind of compared it. And one of the, the, the components that I, that I re- recall was newspapers and magazines, right? And I looked at newspapers and magazines for a 10-year period. And according to the CPI, during that 10-year period, the price of newspapers and magazines was up by 30%. Well, I just went back and looked at the newspapers and magazines because you can see the price. They print it right on the cover. So I can see what it was at the beginning of the 10-year period, and I can look at the exact same newspapers and magazines and see where they were at the end. And when I did that, it turned out that the actual increase in price was not 30%, but 130%. So, I mean, the government was way off. I mean, and it's, how does that happen? I mean, how do you put a 130% price increase into the CPI and it spits out a 30% increase? Obviously, 100% of that increase was somehow lost in the computation, in the methodology of the CPI. But that is by design. The government wants to understate inflation for obvious reasons. I mean, why would the government want to be honest about inflation? You know, I, I talked about my dad earlier in the podcast. One of the things he always used to say uh, was having the government report about inflation is like having the mafia report about crime. I mean, obviously the mafia does not want to let everybody know that crime is on the rise because it might result in, in more police. And that's more people they have to bribe. So if they can, if they can be responsible for compiling the crime statistics and they can show everybody that crime is way down, well, then there's no reason to hire more police and then it's easier for the mafia to commit crime. That's exactly what the government does. The government doesn't want anybody knowing how bad inflation is. The government is robbing us, right? My dad said that inflation was the government's silent partner. And in fact, that's what it is. And so, you know, they they don't want us knowing how bad inflation is because the government benefits from inflation. They create inflation. Of course, the Fed couldn't keep interest rates this low if they had to admit how high inflation was. Uh, You know, so that's one reason, again. But the other reason that inflation hasn't been higher is because it's gone into asset prices. It's gone into, you know, stocks and real estate and bonds and you know, collectibles and things like that. But ultimately, all this inflation is going to find its way into consumer prices and producer prices. That's where it always goes. It's just this has just been a longer than normal lag. Uh, But we're now getting there. And the crazy thing about it is we're on the precipice of this and people are just completely uh, complacent about it. Don't even think and maybe because it's been so long. Right. I mean, people have been warning about inflation. I've been warning about it for so long. It says people like, well, who cares? Right. It's never going to happen. Because people have been expecting it for so many years, and it's never happened, so it's never going to happen, right? Well, you know, that's what they said about real estate prices. Oh, real estate prices will never go down. They always go up, so anybody who says they're going to go down. I mean, people all of a sudden expect that what has been happening is going to continue to happen, and they become complacent. And they ignore all the evidence that things are about to change. Like, you know, when in the real estate market, it was obvious to me that based on what had just happened, how quickly prices had gone up and why they had gone up, that we were about to see a big drop. And so if you look at the dynamics behind inflation, the commodities markets, I mean, it is about to change. The dynamic is not going to be there. And we're going to see changes in Japan. We're going to see changes in the Eurozone. All this QE, all this easy money that asset prices have been floating on, right? They've been propping it up. It's all going away. All that is going to change. And Nobody is prepared for the change. 
That's what, you know, I'm preparing people for the change. And I know some of some clients have pointed out, hey, you know, when the stock market went down, the Euro Pacific capital accounts went down. Yeah, I, I get that. That's going to happen. If we get a big crash, right, if we get a huge drop in a short period of time, everything's going down. I'm willing to accept that because what I don't know is when the Fed is going to cry uncle. I do know that eventually weakness in the stock market is going to cause the Fed to reverse course and, and take away the rate hikes. In fact, they had Bullard on. They brought Bullard on CNBC a couple days ago, and, and he went out and said, you know, we're probably not going to do four rate hikes. We, things would have to be perfect. So, you know, they send Bullard in. He used to hint at QE4, right? Uh, but now he's just hinting that, well, the market was thinking about four rate hikes. That's probably not going to happen. I mean, that's not an accident that he came out and he kind of said that. But eventually that's not going to work, right? That's not enough. Just just three rate hikes rather than four is not going to prop up this bond market. It's not going to prop up the dollar. So I am willing to ride out any bumps. And by the way, there are a lot of stocks that we own that sold off uh, during the big drop that are now higher than they were before the market went down. So, you know, when they throw out the baby with the bathwater, right, after the dust settles, they get the baby again. There's a bid. So a lot of the stocks that I owned that went down during that huge sell-off are now higher than they were before the sell-off. And so I am willing to, to ride out those potential bumps because what I don't know, I don't know when we're going to get that moment where the Fed caves. And I don't even know if it's going to be weakness in the stock market or weakness in the economy that's going to be the catalyst. I just know that we need to be long when it happens because when it happens and it's going to take so many people by surprise, you're not going to want to chase this market. You need to be positioned properly before the crowd figures out what's actually going to happen. Because right now, everybody is clueless. Everybody is prepared for the wrong thing. Nobody really realizes what the Fed is going to do, what's going to happen to the dollar, what's going on with modern policy, what's going to happen with inflation. So I want to be positioned for that in advance. And I'm willing to ride out the bumps of the road because I know the ultimate destination. I know where this road leads and I, I want, and I don't want to get off. I don't want to get off that road and risk missing a much bigger move because I'm afraid about a little short-term volatility.